Alright, we're going to start here on the bottom of Kufmem Vavamid Bed by the two dots. I'm reviewed on my Rav. Komakom Shasru Chachamim Ipnei Marit Ayin Afilu B'chadrei Chadarim Asur Chachamim established the halacha that we can't do something because of Marit Ayin. We're afraid of what other people will say, what other people will think. And it makes no difference whether it's in a public forum or it's in a private forum. Even if you're in your house, if the halacha is that we don't do this because of Marit Ayin, you're still bound by that halacha even though you're in the confines of your own home. Of his problem is our Mishnah. Mishnah says, Nan shotan bechama, Put a mat in the sun to dry, as long as the people can't see it. See that it's laundry or think it's laundry, you do it in a private way or a way that the people can't see it. So that's the opposite of what we just said. Here we're saying that it's permissible to do something, despite the fact that in general it would be a sewer. Just in this situation, we let you do it because nobody can see it. But that's not the principle we just established, which was that if there's a takana, it applies both in the public domain and in the private domain. So when it says tanahi, it's actually a machloket tanaim. That's our Mishnah, the Tanakama here matches our Mishnah, most likely Rabbi Meir, that you put a man in the sun as long as the people can't see them. Rabbi Shimon Osrim say it's a sur. Obviously, they think it's a sur. Not because inherently there's something wrong, but because of the problem of maratayin. Because of the maratayin, they do not permit you to put it out, even though it's not in public, it's not in front of the am. Here you have a machloket in this principle of maratayin, and we follow the principle of that's generally the principle that we follow. There are some exceptions to that rule, but that is the general alocha with regards to maratayin. Therefore, we're bound by all those halachot, whether out in public or whether we're with no one or in the private domain. Someone who shakes out their clothing on Shabbat is chayav chatat. Rashi says, It has dust on it, has dirt on it, and you shake it out on Shabbat. Chayav chatat, which implies that there's an Easter door right there here. And Rashi says that That's the cleansing, the cleaning of such a beged is done by shaking it out. So in violation of the melacha of libun. The problem with that is, you can see there's a gillion ashas right here, is that we just spoke about this a couple of days ago, that back on Dafkuv Mem Aleph, Rashi says that libun only applies when you have water. Without water, there is no libun. Whatever you're doing is mechzik libun if you don't have water involved. Here, there's no water involved. He's simply shaking out the dust from his clothing. So how could it be that it's called libun? Tosafot, because of that, prefers the explanation of the Rebbeinu Hananel. The Rebbeinu Hananel says that you're not shaking it out from the dust, but rather from the tal, from the dew. You're shaking out the dew from the baguette that's landed on the baguette, that's come on the baguette, and then now you're shaking out. Then it can involve libun, because then you have water involved, and that's why it would be classified as Libun and would match with the subsequent story that we're going to see. That's only true in new clothing. If it's older clothing, then we don't worry about it because you really can't cleanse them. You can't get them clean enough. It's only when they're new that they're clean that it makes a real difference to shake them out to get the dust out of them. It's only true when you're talking about black clothing. But if you're talking about white or colored clothing, we don't worry about it again. Again, the black shows up, the dust, the dirt, and therefore cleaning it has value. Whereas the white or colored brigadim don't show it as much or don't benefit as much from that cleansing, and therefore there's no problem. And that's only if he's makpid on it, that he won't wear the baggage unless it is cleaned. If you'd wear the beggar, if it wasn't clean, they just wants to shake it out, then that's not really called libun because... 
For him, he's indifferent between whether he wears it with the dust in it, without the dust in it. Just wants to shake it out. It's okay. Ula equal to pumpadita. Ula got him to pumpadita. Chazar abonah to come and up say pulamayu. He saw them shaking out their cloaks. He saw them doing exactly what's described here. Amar kimechalin rabbanon shabto. I don't understand. In pumpadita, the rabbanon don't keep Shabbos. They are here shaking out their clothing. Say malacha on Shabbat. Amalehu rab Yehuda. Yehuda, who is the Rosh Hashiva, then in pumpadita says to them, if utzelei beape, says do right in front of him. Don't worry about it. In front of his face, you can do this. We don't really worry about this, care about this. We would wear this clothing without shaking it out. And therefore, the shaking it out is not considered to be significant because we're not makpid on the davar. Abaye was in front of Yosef. Yosef being the rabbi of Abaye. Pass me my hat. Today, also the modern word of kumta, which is beret in Hebrew. Chaza de'ika talale. He saw that there was dew that landed on this hat. He was reluctant, resisting, passing it over to Abaye. From the word lo'tachsom shorbidi show. He stopped himself from passing it over. Vai says to his Rebbe, listen, just shake it out, pass it to me, I really don't care. If it has the dew on it, it doesn't have the dew on it. So again, the idea being that this is only a problem of Libun if you are Makpit. He wouldn't wear the hat without shaking it out. But here, Abai was willing to wear the hat with the dew on it. And he was telling everybody else, if just shake it and pass it to me, I don't really mind whether it has the dew on it or not. This is why Tosafot says that the case before of Meneret Alito... The Rabbeinu Hananu says that it's due makes sense because of the example brought by the case of Abaye, where he was shaking out his hat and it had due on it. I'm Rav Yitzchak Bar Yosef, I'm Rav Yochanan. Someone who goes out with a talit that is folded up and placed on his shoulders on Shabbat is chayav chatat. This description here is going to come up a number of times in the Gemara, but in general when they wore something, a cloak, when they wore a tunic, it used to hang down, meaning that you wrapped it around your head, and then it hung down to, whether it's to the waist or even to the knees, they said it was a long draped item that you were wearing. Instead of allowing it to drape down, the person pulls it up and puts it onto their shoulders. So the Gemara here says that they're no longer wearing the begot now, they are carrying the begot. Therefore, you chayav chatat. Tanya nami yochi, we have a brighter that supports that. So charei kasut, ayutzim talitot mekupalot, those that are sellers, merchants that sell clothing, they go out with these talitot that are wrapped up or pulled up onto their shoulders. It's not only merchants, clothing merchants. Any person. Let's say it. The reason they brought this as the example because it's most common for them to be the ones doing this. But anybody who does it, anybody who imitates that type of behavior would be in the same position, which is that they be chayav chatat. A storekeeper that goes out with money tucked away in his tunic, chayav chatat. Because again, that's considered to be carrying. That's the normal way that they carry money. They tuck it in, they wrap it up, and tuck it in. Again, it's not only a storekeeper. But that is the normal way for a storekeeper to go out. Now, ratanim, according to the Oroch and to Tosafot, are ratzim. These are messengers that are runners. Runners, messengers that are running. They go out with these scarves. Sha'ak tefam, that are on their shoulders, 
And as the Gra points out, that it's even mikupal, even if it's folded up onto their shoulders. It's not only true by these runners or these messengers. Any person. Let's say That's the normal way for the runners to go. The runners who needed to obviously run to go quickly couldn't have the bigadim hanging down. Rashi says these ratanim or ratanim is the name of a place and not necessarily a description of a particular job or person. Rather, name of a place. And this is where they wore it in that place. So according to Rashi, this was the normal wear in that place. According to the Rambam and many of the other Rishonim, the Oroch, this is a description, just like the others were, of someone's profession. And in this profession, they wear it this way because it makes it easier for them to run. It doesn't get in their way. If they're running, they have a loincloth, something around their waist. And then they have something around their head or their neck, and that's it. They don't want anything draping down because that would slow them in the process of running. Those people who go out in that manner, it's permissible because that's the way they wear the begot. That's the way they wear the scarf. It's not unusual for them to wear it in this way. And therefore, it would not be a masoi, but rather a lavush. Right. They have a particular scarf, which is shorter, it seems like, that it was made to be worn in this manner. So even if they're not running, because the clothing is made in such a manner that it's worn in this manner, then it's not considered to be a masu if they pull it up on the shoulders, because that's the way it is worn on a weekday. There was an incident with Hurkunus, who was the son of Rabbi Lezer ben Hurkunus, meaning that he was named for his grandfather. He went out with a... Sudar, which we just described here with the Ratanim, on his shoulder, B'Shabbat, Ella, he was makpid shinima kuchalo be'etzba'o. He had a string tied around his finger. When this information came through the Chachamim, even if you don't have a string around your finger, then you're still permitted to go out with it. Fear being that because it was either a lighter type of cloth, or because it was only wrapped around the upper part of the head or the neck, that it could get blown off by the wind, it could fall off easily. And if it fell off on Shabbat, then you would end up carrying it. So Herkunus here was makpid to put a string around his finger so that if it did blow off or that something did happen to it, then it would still be attached to him and wouldn't fall on the floor and he wouldn't end up carrying it. It would stay on his head. He would be able to hold it onto his head. Kamim say that despite that fact you're allowed to wear it, we're not choshesh that people are going to end up carrying it or have it blow off their head again because this is the normal way to do this. On a weekday, a person would wear this. A person is used to wearing this. And they will maintain it. They'll keep it on their head. They'll Even if it blows off, they'll put it back on. They're not going to end up carrying it because this is the nature of this type of clothing. That the is like what the Chachamim say, that even if it's not attached to your finger, you can wear such a sudar, such a scarf, this lighter material around the neck that is piled up onto the shoulders. So Ula went to the Beit Midrash of Asi Barhini. They asked him, One make a gutter on Shabbat. Obviously a gutter here, they're not asking about real gutters, they're asking about gutters in the clothing. So I'm like, oh, Rabbi Eli. This is what Rabbi Eli said, One may not make his clothing look like a gutter on Shabbat. Then the Gemara asks, my Marzev. What is this Marzev that we're speaking about? Rabbi Zeira Kisei Bavlaito. It's like this covering of the Babylonians. As Rashi explains, They pick their clothing up off the ground, when it's too long, and they turn them upwards, and they put them there, they hold them in place, with the chutin, so it could be that it's a hem, it could be a cuff at the bottom, I would think it more like when people hike up their clothing, or hike up their skirt, if you did that with a tunic, you would fold it at some point in the middle, 
and then put it under the belt. So the way to hike up the clothing, uh, women do it with skirts. You can do it with a tunic. If it's too long, you hike it up, and then you put a belt around it to hold it. That fold that you make to put under the belt creates this, what we call the gutter, creates that fold in the begot. But again, it would be similar to a possibility of a cuff or a hem as well that he's speaking about here. Rashi says the problem used to be that the clothing was too long, and they're hiking it up in order to make it the right size, and they're stitching in place. On the other hand, the Rambam, the Gra quotes over here, seems to indicate, not a problem of length, they're too long, but it's to protect the baguette, in order to make sure that it doesn't get dirty, or it doesn't get ripped. The Gemara says it's a sewer, because that's not considered to be the normal way to wear the clothing, or it's considered to be almost a masui, because you're doing something that has excess begad being carried around on Shabbat, not for wearing purposes. Rabbi Yirmi was sitting in front of Rabbi Zera. If I do it this way, is it okay? If I do it this way, I'm kept showing him different types of ways to roll up the clothing, and he kept saying to Masur. Here we get the answer, which is Amra Papa. Here's the principle. No kud haiklala beadech. Well, this is the general principle you can follow. Call adaita lichnufei asur. Anything that's made to gather it up is asur. So again, Rashi says achnufei is sheimutukan tamid amit kipulod eolam. Rashi says that it's a permanent state that you fold it up in a permanent state that is problematic. Whereas again, the Gra quotes the Rambam as saying that you're doing it to protect the baggage, so it won't rip, it won't get dirty. In that case, it's problematic. Called the hitnaot shari. Anything that's the hitnaot is mutar. Now, Rashi says the hitnaot means lefisha. Anything that's temporary is okay. Because Rashi describes the problem as being something that you do permanently. So the thing that is allowed is when you do it only temporarily. Others say the hitnaot means that you do it for show or for appearance. As whereas the Rambam described before that you do it to protect the begad. Versus the presentation of the individual. If it's to protect the baggage, then it's a problem on Shabbat. Because you're not caring for the purpose of the individual, folding up the baggage for the benefit of the baggage. So that's not called wearing the baggage anymore. That's called carrying the baggage because you're trying to benefit the baggage. On the other hand, if it's for the benefit of the individual, he wants to look nicer, this makes them look nicer, this makes their appearance different, then that's considered part of the wearing of the baggage. This is the way to wear it that the individual wants, and that would be mutar. That's the way they describe it according to the Rambam, or the way the Gura seems to describe it. It's the difference between whether it's because of the baggage or because of the individual, whereas Rashi seems to indicate that the difference is whether it's permanent versus temporary. And it might be that, according to Rashi, the problem here is not necessarily Masui versus a Levush, but rather whether you've done a Tikkun Mono, where you've done some permanent tailoring of the Beget, versus something that's only temporary, which will be released when you undo your belt. Whereas the Rambam seems to be indicating it's not an issue of permanence or temporariness, but rather an issue of whether it's considered to be a lavush, you're wearing it, you're presenting it in a certain way, versus whether you're doing it for the Beget and it becomes a Masui. He used to do some sort of rolling up, some sort of presentation of his baggage on a weekday, it's not on Shabbat, in order to have himself look better or to present himself in a different way. So you see that there is such a concept that people with their clothing will do something in order to make it look different. If that's the case that they would do it on a weekday, then obviously on Shabbat it would not be considered a Masoi because this is the normal way to wear such a baguette. Rabbi went out to the field. And the two ends of his talit were up on his shoulder. What exactly this means that the two ends of his baguette were up on his shoulder is not completely clear, but let's assume that in general you wear it like a cape. If you put it on, you wrap it around your head and you wear it like a cape and it drops down. 
So instead of letting the parts drop down, he rolls up everything that drops down and throws it onto his shoulder around the shoulder. So now it's all on top. It's the equivalent of how sometimes when you uh, put on your talit, right, that you wrap it around your neck, you put both sides, both ends onto one side, fold it up onto the shoulder, not letting it drape down. So that would seem to be what is being described over here. So Tosfot over here describes it. I know the Kamara called Daita Lichnufe Asur. When everything together together is Asur, I know Kamoshi Parashti Shneitzi Deyayamin. Two right ends, Mukubatsim, are pulled up, Umunachim Akatif Smalit, thrown onto your left shoulder. Shecholalech Bimehira, that you'll be able to walk quickly. And whatever you're wearing, whatever piece of clothing you're wearing won't weigh on you or interfere with your walking. And then he says, It's not when the entire thing is on your shoulder, but only one side is on the shoulder. The other half falls down to your shoulder, down to the arm. It doesn't have any covering. The difference here, according to Tosafot, is how far down it drapes. You know, if you pull the entire thing up to your neck level, onto the shoulder level, that's considered to be something that's caring or problematic. Whereas if at least one side is draping down, that would be considered to be the normal way to wear such a begot, and that would be fine. So here we have a description of Rabbi going out to the field, where he has the entire thing, what seems to be rolled up onto his shoulders around his neck. Amar Lefanav, Yoshua ben Ziruz. He was queried by Yoshua ben Ziruz. Ben Chamiv shel Rabbi Meir. The son of the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir. Which makes him Rabbi Meir's brother-in-law. Bezu lo chayev Rabbi Meir chatat. Wasn't Rabbi Meir mechayev chatat when someone goes out in this manner? Amar Lei, diktek Rabbi Meir adgan. Rabbi Meir was so makpid, meaning that even wearing like this was problematic. And it seems to be the answer was yes. Shushal Rabbi Telito. So Rebbe, draped down, allowed his begot to fall down a little more in order not to be in violation of the memory of Rabbi Meir. He had to Ravin, when Ravim came, so before we had Rav Dimi, and now we have Ravin. Rav Dimi and Ravin traveled between Bavel and Eretz Yisrael numerous times, and they bring reports, as we see in the Gemara many times, reports of incidents or memorals that they had from Eretz Yisrael. So here you have Rav Dimi who came, and told over this incident with Rabbi from Eretz Yisrael, he's bringing it back to the Beit Bavel. But when Ravin came, he brought a little different story, which is interesting. Amar lo Yoshua ben Ziruzava, ele Yoshua ben Kapusai. Hayah. The incident was not with Yoshua ben Ziruzava, rather when Yoshua ben Kapusai, chatano shel Rabbi Akiva, the son-in-law of Rabbi Akiva. Now this is interesting because we don't know of a son-in-law of Rabbi Akiva named Yoshua ben Kapusai. The Gemara only notes that Rabbi Akiva had one daughter, and that daughter daughter, supposedly, according to the Gemara, married Ben-Azai. Even though the Gemara says in other places that Ben-Azai never got married, Tosafo tries to reconcile those two Gemarot and say that he got engaged but never married her. But we don't have any other incidents or information in the Gemara that Rabbi Akiva had another daughter or a son-in-law. One time that we have this mentioned that there's this Yoshua ben Kapusai who was a son-in-law of Rabbi Akiva, indicating that Rabbi Akiva had another daughter, besides the one that... The story is told about that she followed in her mother's footsteps. Mara says that she followed in her mother's footsteps and allowed Benazai, her husband, to go learn away in yeshiva for numerous years, just like Rachel had done for Rabbi Akiva. So again, this must be someone else, and we don't have any other information about it. So Amar Bazu lo chiev Rabbi Akiva chatat. Wasn't Rabbi Akiva mechayev chatat when you wear it this way? Amar lo dikteg Rabbi Akiva adkan. Rabbi says, oh, Rabbi Akiva was magdaktek. In this situation, so therefore she shall Rabbi Talito. So he responded by lowering down his begot in order not to be a problem. Kiata Rav Shmuel by Rabbi Yehuda. So now we have a third person bringing the story or the incident from Eretz Yisrael. Mar Nishalit Mar. 
The incident didn't actually take place. It wasn't a Maisa Shahaya that Rabbi went out to the field wearing it this way, and then they challenged Rabbi in wearing it this way. Rather, it was a question that was brought to the Beit Midrash. They asked Rabbi, if you wear it in such a way, what's the din? And Rabbi was looking to be matter. He thought it would be mutar until either it's Yeshua ben Kapusai or Yeshua ben Ziruz interjected and said, wait, Rabbi Meir or Rabbi Akiva said in that incident it's chayev. And then Rabbi retracted his position or what he wanted to give as a psak, which was that it was mutar. And he said, okay, then obviously it's not mutar in this incident. So the last case indicates that it didn't actually happen, but rather was a simply a question that was presented to Rabbi. Okay, next Mishnah. Someone who bathes in cave water, we'll call it, and made very hot springs. So now the Meimei Ara is water that was heated and then kept in a roofed area. Because it's kept in a roofed area, it stays hot and maintains its heat. Meimei Tveria, obviously, know are the hot springs. He gets out, and he dries himself off. Even with ten towels. There's one individual gets out, and just ten towels to dry himself, so that means that each towel does not have so much water absorbed into it. Nevertheless, Loviem Biado. He's not allowed to carry them back home. Avalasarabne Adam, if you have ten people, Mistab Gimbaluntit, Achat. Even if they use a single towel between them to dry off, that means that the towel is probably soaked through and through. to do their face, their feet and their hands. And they can carry it back home. Divide the fact that it's saturated with water, they're still able to bring it back home. So the difference being that 1 and 10. If you have one person there, we're afraid that he's going to forget that it's Shabbat and he'll squeeze out the towel, squeeze out the liquid from the towel. If you have 10 people there, they're going to remind each other not to do that, which is wrong. So despite the fact, and the Gemara is going to mention this, despite the fact that with 10 people you have one towel which is completely saturated, so there's more likelihood of squeezing the liquid out of the towel, nevertheless, because they're 10, that prevents the problem. And then the other situation where it's one individual, even though he uses 10 towels, and the towels are almost dry, Nevertheless, he's not allowed to carry it because we're afraid of schita because he's an individual. And the Kiddush there is that even though it's ten towels, he still can't carry it. Okay. One can anoint themselves, put oil on their body, and then push it in or work it around the body. But you cannot knead it into the body. And one can't scrape their body. They used to use these combs or scrapers that they used to run over the body, I guess to remove the dead skin and to be part of this massage. One is not allowed to descend to the Kordima. Rashi says here that the Kordima was a river, and the Gemara will discuss what exactly the problems were with this Kordima. One can't make an emetic on Shabbat, or can't really drink an emetic on Shabbat to cause themselves to throw up, to disgorge that which they've eaten. You cannot straighten out the limbs of a katan. And one cannot reset a break on Shabbat. Someone who dislocated their arm or their shoulder. You cannot agitate them or beat them. That's the word that we've seen before. Actively. With cold water in order to return the dislocation back to its socket. You can rinse yourself off with the cold water. If it happens to go back into place. That is fine. Right, that's the Mishnah as a whole. The Gemara is going to go through piece by piece of the Mishnah and discuss it. The one thing that's interesting in this Mishnah is this Endurdim the Kordima. The one cannot go down to this Kordima or the Fluma, which Rashi again translates as being a river that one cannot descend to because of the problems that the Gemara will discuss what exactly the issues are with this river. There are others who translate, brought up by Shaul Lieberman in the Tosefta Kipshuta, that this Kordima, or this Paluma, was actually a wrestling pit, or the wrestling stadium. 
And in your dim, the word dima means that one may not go down to the wrestling pit or wrestling stadium on Shabbat. And then he connects the other items that are mentioned in the Mishnah. Otherwise, you have a bunch of items in the Mishnah that seem disconnected. And he says that all of these items are connected. You can be sachinu mashmashim. You can put the oil on the body and just rub it around a little bit. Avalo mit amim. Can't knead it into the body. Why would you put oil on the body if you're going down to the wrestling pit? Is because that would make your body slippery. And if you're going down to the wrestling pit, then it would be harder to wrestle you to the ground because of the slipperiness because of the oil that was on the body. So discussing the oil, then discussing not going down to the wrestling pit or mitamlim could also be, for instance, the Rambam, the modern day mitamlim, which is to exercise, to go down to the wrestling pit. He claims is also connected, which is had to do with their weight, that whether they ate more beforehand in order to put on extra weight, and then they would disgorge it after the fact because they just ate for weight purposes, not for nutritional purposes. And that's why the effectivism is connected over here. That's in the Tosefta he tries to prove that this is the case, that this mission is discussing this continuum. Again, we're going to follow Rashi's interpretation, but it's just interesting to note there's an alternative explanation. Tani Meimara Dumnia de Meitveria. The Mishnah connects or parallels this Meimara to the Meitveria. Ma Meitveria Chamin. Just like we know that Meitveria, the hot springs in Tveria are hot. Af Meimara Chamin. Must be talking about here that this water, this cave water is hot or heated. Arochets di Evedin lechatchilolo. Over here, to bathe in this, the Mishnah uses the term Arochets. Someone who did do this. Not that you're supposed to do this, but if you did do this, which means that the Chathilo, you should not be doing this, but Bidiyavid, if he did do it, then you can dry himself off. But that indicates or seems to imply that the problem here is that he's Rochets. He's bathing himself. But that means if he's Mishtatev, then it would be permissible. Now Rashi describes Lishatev as Shokhan al Gufo. You pour the water on your body. That's not the normal way to bathe. Therefore, Shari Bhatila, I would describe it as the difference between a bath and a shower. So it seems here that the bath is problematic. That's what he's calling Rochets, is to descend into the water, to soak oneself in the water. Whereas Lishatev is to have the water poured on the individual, the equivalent of a shower. Maybe the shower would be a little different because there's a continuous flow of water. Over here, it's just a pouring of the water and then it ends. But nevertheless, it's a difference between soaking in the water and having the water poured on you. The mission implies that Rochets is the problem here, not Lishatev. Who is the author of such a position when it came to hot water that one is permitted to Lishatev, to basically shower, but not to bathe. Mani, Rabbi Shimon, he. It must be Rabbi Shimon, the Tanya. Because have a right to Tatef Adam ben Bechamim, ben Bitsonein, Divi Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says you can't shower or be rinsed off, whether it's cold water or hot water. Rabbi Shimon, Matir. Rabbi Shimon says it's mutar, both with hot water and cold water. In hot water, it's impermissible. By its own name, by cold water, it is permissible. So if we have our Mishnah here saying in hot water that it is fine to go and have this lishtatev, have this shower, the water poured on you, it's obviously authored by Rabbi Shimon. He drives himself off even with ten towels. Reisha Rabuta Kamashwan. The Sefer Rabuta Kamashwan. The Reisha has a Chiddush to teach us, and the Sefer has a Chiddush to teach us. Reisha Rabuta Kamashwan. The Reisha has a Chiddush to teach us. The Afilu Hani. Even though these towels, ten of them, are not saturated with water, since he's one individual, he might end up doing Shita, and therefore we do not allow him to touch any of these towels or bring any of these towels. The Sefer Rabuta Kamashwan, and the Sefer teaches us a Chiddush. The Afilu Hani. The Nefisha Behumayo. Even this one towel that was used for ten people now is completely saturated. Since they are a large group of individuals, we're not, we're not worried about them coming to Shita because someone will remind them, oh, it's Shabbat, don't do that.
So because they remind each other, despite the fact that it's saturated, you're allowed to carry it on Shabbat. Person who's in the bathhouse can dry themselves off with the towel and then leave it in the window of the bathhouse. You shouldn't give it over to the attendants at the bathhouse. Because we suspect that they are not so straightforward with regards to Shabbat. And that if you give the towel back to them, they're going to do schita. They're going to squeeze the towel out on Shabbat, which will be problematic. These bathhouse attendants or bathhouse keepers were extremely problematic. The whole zera of not bathing on Shabbat derives from the fact that they were not honest, that they used to heat the water up on Shabbat, that they were always under suspicion to keep the bathhouses running, that they would be in violation of Shabbat. So if it's over here with the towel, you shouldn't give it back to them because they are suspect with regards to this. You can use one towel and then bring it home with you. Amrlei, a buyer of Yosef, Hilchatamai, says, What is the Aloha? Amrlei, Ha Rabbi Shimon, Ha Rabbi, Ha Shmuel, Ha Rabbi Yochanan. What's the question about what the Aloha is? You have Rabbi Shimon here. You have Rabbi, Shmuel, and Rabbi Yochanan all subscribing to the same position. Well, if they all subscribe to the same position, Aloha most likely is in that direction. Rabbi Shimon had Amran. Rabbi Shimon, we just mentioned over here, that Rabbi Shimon says that you can use the towel and then carry it home. Rabbi, what's the incident with Rabbi? The Tanya, Amar Rabbi, Kishayinu Lameidim Torah Itzel Rabbi Shimon B'Tkoa. When we used to learn Torah by Rabbi Shimon and Tkoa, Inu Ma'alin Shemen Valontit. He used to take the oil and the towels, Michatzer Lagag, Omigag Karpaf. He used to take it from the courtyard up to the roofs. From the roofs down to the karpaf, which are the, like the backyards to the fields. Till we reach the spring. That a spring that they normally use for bathing in. And the assumption of the Gemara is that after they got there, they used the towel. And then they brought it back home afterwards. That Rabbi Shimon went off and this individual went home as well. Now, the way that the story sounds like, it's written in the plural form. Which sounds like... Oh, a bunch of us went with Rabbi Shimon to bathe. So Tosafot has issues with that. He says, in general, we don't have multiple students going with the Rebbe to go to bathe or to go to the Mayan. In general, the Rebbe should go alone. If you need someone to help him, he brings one student. So Tosafot over here says that it was actually just Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon that went, and that it was only one student. Why is it written in the plural? It's because they used to take turns at who was Malaveh, who accompanied the Rebbe. So it's when we used to go, not that we all went together, but when we used to do this for Rabbi Shimon, each one who went with Rabbi Shimon used to do it this way. Ira, this answers your question. How did they carry it? This is Shitat Rabbi Shimon, who believes that there's no problem of carrying between these areas. Gemara and Erevin will get to, we mentioned it once before in Shabbat, that the Chatzer, the Gagot, and the Karbafiot are all considered to be one entity for Shabbat, according to Rabbi Shimon. Therefore, it's permitted to carry through those areas without an Eruv, without any problem. They're all considered to be one Rashut in Shabbat, and you can carry through them. And that's how they carried these towels back. Obviously, the other way is they have an Eruv, and they're able to carry it back. In this incident, they are subscribing to the position of Rabbi Shimon. It's a story about Rabbi Shimon. So they're carrying the towel, as you see, by what's described here, through these different areas that are considered one entity, according to Rabbi Shimon. So now we have an example of Rabbi Shimon. Now an example of Rabbi who carried a towel on Shabbat after they had bathed? Shmuel, And here we have explicit from Shmuel. We have Rabbi Yudah quoting the name of Shmuel that a person can dry themselves off with the towel and they can bring it back home. Rabbi Yochanan, that's the last one that was mentioned. Person can dry himself off with the towel and then bring it back home. So here you have these four individuals, all of whom use the towel. 
and then brought it back home without any problem. The implication of all four of them doing this is that the lacha must be this way, and that's how Rav Yosef responded to Abaye. That what's the question here? Of course, the lacha is this way when we have such big individuals all doing the same thing. Comes up many times in Shas. Yochanan has a position that the lacha is always like a stam mishnah. And many times we have stirot between that principle of Rabbi Yochanan and the fact that it has a halacha that goes against the Stam Mishnah. So here's a classic case. Our Mishnah that we just read is a Stam Mishnah. And our Mishnah says that the individual may not bring the towel back. If you say halacha is Stam Mishnah, that means that our Mishnah says you can't bring the towel back. Yet, it just has a quote in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that says you're allowed to bring the towel back. So now we have a stira in Rabbi Yochanan. Our Mishnah, a person who drives off even with ten towels, Our Mishnah, even though we have it reading as a Stam Mishnah, in Rabbi Yochanan's Mishnayot, it read that this was Divrei Ben Chachinai. That this was a Dat Yachit. It was ascribed to a specific individual, the Mishnah, and therefore it's no longer a Stam Mishnah. So if it's not a Stam Mishnah, then we don't have this problem of the Stira in the way that Rabbi Yochanan Paskins. Other places, the Gemara answers that it's Shtei Amoraim, I'll leave it to Rabbi Yochanan. It's two Amoraim that are making a statement named Rabbi Yochanan. One Amoru says that Rabbi Yochanan believes Allah is Stam Mishnah. Mm-hmm. If another Amoru says that Allah uh, is, that you're allowed to bring the towel back. That's another way to resolve the issue. But if the Gemara has an opportunity to reconcile without saying that, it will try, and that's what they do here, saying that the Mishnah is really not a Stam Mishnah. The bath attendants can bring the clothing or towels for the women to the bathhouse. They can only do this if they wear them in such a way that it covers their head and the robe of their body. They need to carry it, they need to move it there, but they can't carry on Shabbat. It's a woman's towel, clothing, robe, whatever it is that they're bringing. So the only way they can bring it is if they wear it in such a manner that it's considered to be a piece of clothing for them. The only way to do that is to have it al roshovruba, which would be the normal way to wear a piece of clothing, and then to bring it to the bathhouse. That is permitted. Sachnita, on the other hand, that a sachnita, if he wants to bring it, you have to tie the two ends down below. Now this sachnita, according to Rashi, is sudar gadol. It's a large scarf. ben reaches shoulder length. atufbo, and his head is covered in it. So it's literally like a scarf that's wrapped around the head, but doesn't drape down. It simply comes to the shoulder length, as opposed to a normal shawl or cape like that would either go down to your elbows, maybe down to the waist level, maybe even lower. But here it's very short and up top. So because of that, you have to tie the two ends down to show that you are wearing it. Shaloti Pomi Rosho, as Rashi says, it shouldn't fall off of his head. Question here about what this Aknita is. The Grah says, It's a very small scarf that doesn't cover any of his body. It doesn't fall beyond his head at all. Right, right, the bonnet type of feel, and therefore you had to tie it down. Again, the problem being either because the material was very light, or because it's so small it could get blown off, so we ask you to tie it down in order to wear it so they don't have this problem. He has to do it below his shoulder length. When you have to carry the clothing for the soldiers, make sure that it drapes below your shoulders. So this is interesting. It happens to be that the non-Jewish forces used to come there a lot. It was a large city. And it seems to be a wealthy city as well. And so the king used to send his troops over there. When the troops showed up, 
up and down, it became the responsibility of the town to house them and to take care of them, to do whatever their bidding was. Over here, the troops wanted them to move clothing or to bring things for them, bring their towels for them to the bathhouse. So it's Shabbat, they can't carry it for them. So Rava says to the people, make sure that if you're carrying their things to the bathhouse, that you wear them in such a way that it drapes below your shoulders so that it's a piece of clothing rather than simply carrying. Similar to what we saw before, that if you're going to bring something that is going to be utilized in the bathhouse, you have to wear it in a way that it looks like clothing, which means that it drapes below your shoulder level. Okay. A person can put on oil and rub it around their belly on Shabbat. As long as you don't do it like you do it on a weekday. How do you do it so that's not like the weekday? That you actually put the oil on and then you rub it around as opposed to on the weekday where you do the other way around. You'd rub first and then put the oil on. You do it simultaneously. Put the oil on by rubbing it in as opposed to doing it in separate actions. When you do that on Shabbat, it's fine because that's not similar to the way you do it in the weekday. And you can do it, you just can't do it the way that you do it during the week. You cannot knead it in. One cannot stand down at the bed or the riverbed of the Dimioset. So again, this according to Rashi is talking about the riverbed, that you can't descend to this river and stand by the riverbed. Rashi claims Me'amelet means that it heats you. The waters were hot, or they had some sort of impact on the individual that it heated them or heated their body. Is that it's medicinal in nature, that it's helpful, because in Rashi says, There's mud down there that is salty mud, and because of that, it's therapeutic in nature. Right, like the mud by the Dead Sea, exactly. The world has been translated, me'amelet, is that it stimulates, imrapeh, loosens. Imrapeh is with a hay, to loosen, meaning that it was a laxative of some sort. Again, therapeutic in nature, you're not allowed to go down to this, the riverbed. It's only therapeutic for 21 days a year. Vatseret minaminyan. And Shavuot is one of those 21 days. See, by the way, Vatseret the Haigisa or the Haigisa? When you say that Shavuot is part of it, is it Shavuot starts the 21 days or it's the end of the 21 days? Tashma, Damar Shmuel, Kulu, Kaine, Midibcha, Vatserta, Malu. Any type of drink or potion that is made, medicinal in nature, Shmuel was a doctor, says they're only efficacious between Pesach and Shavuot. So Malu, that's when they work. Dilma, when says maybe there's a difference. Hotam, Hotam, over there with the potions, maybe the colder it is outside, the better that they work. But over here, over here, the whole reason to go down to this river is because of the heat. And gave the Maybe as it gets hotter outside, that the waters will be even more efficacious because the river is helpful because of its heat. And if it's hotter outside, maybe that increases the heat and it'll only make it better. So I don't know if we can extrapolate from Shmuel's statement. Ama Rabbi Chelbo, Chamra de Prugaita, they wine from this place called Prugaita, Maya de Diumeoset, Kibchu Aseret Ashvatim, Israel, and the waters of this river of Diumeoset caused the downfall of the ten tribes. They left because they got drawn into these luxuries of life. And as they got drawn into these luxuries of life, they stopped keeping the Torah, the mitzvot, and learning because they were drawn after this wine and this bathing. Belazar ben Arach, this is a very famous story, Belazar ben Arach, he moved away 
to this location. It's a beautiful location, beautiful waters. He moved there. Before he left, he said to his wife, all my chaverim are here. She says back to him, what do you need your chaverim for? You're the leader of, the, you're the top student here in the Beit Midrash. If you go there, they're going to have to come with you and you'll be able to learn by yourself. Imshach batrahu. He goes ahead and sure enough, he's drawn after these luxuries. And he forgot everything that he had learned. Nobody else followed him. Chazara went down the drain. It wasn't easy for him anymore. When he came back home, when he came back to where the Chachamim were, Atta came the Mikre Besifra, got up to read in the Sefer, to read from the Torah. By the Mikra, he was supposed to read, from Parshat Bo, he's supposed to read that. Instead he reads, Amar HaCheresh Haya Libam. So he changes one letter in each of the words. You can see that. Chodesh changes to Cheresh, the Dalit and the Resh mixed up. Ya is the Zayin and the Yud. And Libam is the Bet and the Chaf. Letters that can get mixed up. He mixes them up and reads, HaCheresh Haya Libam. Whether he really read it that way or he had trouble reading, it's obviously a play on this. HaCheresh Haya Libam means that their hearts became deaf or became silenced. And that he lost everything. That's basically, he was reading a line that basically applied to himself. So Bar Rabbanan Rachmele, the Rabbanan Davind on his behalf, Adar Talmudei. And he remembered that which he had learned. Behind it, it's none. And this is why we have the Mishnah in Avot that says, Rabbi Nehorai Omer. Rabbi says, Torah. person should always go to a place where there is Torah. You have to leave or you have to move somewhere, move to a place where there is Torah. Don't say that it will follow you. Because your friends will maintain the Torah for you or help you maintain the Torah. And don't rely on yourself. The fact that you have knowledge, don't rely on that fact. The basic principle is that when you're dealing with Torah Shabbat Peh, you have to go over it over again. And it's something that is done Be'al Peh. You have to chaz over it to remember it. So you'll be going over one Masechta. And then when you're going over one Masechta, you might forget another Masechta. So the fact that your friends are a souk or involved with another mesechto, they'll remember it. Which was that people would be experts in certain mesechto. And then anytime they need to remember something in the mesechto, they'd ask that expert who was the expert in that mesechto because they had memorized that everything was done by Alpeh. But as long as you have chavimim around, they can help you remember or go over those mesechto. If you're by yourself, you can only do it in a sequential manner. In a sequential manner, you're involved in one Masechta, you're going to start forgetting what you had from the other Masechta, and there'll be nobody there to help you or remind you about what is there. So what does this have to do with our Gemara? We just quoted from Rabbi Nurai. Tana, lo Rabbi Nurai Shemo, his name is not Rabbi Nurai, Elo Rabbi Nechemia Shemo. Ve'amri lo, and some say, Rabbi Elazar ben Arach Shemo. His real name was Rabbi Elazar ben Arach. The Lama, Nikrash Shemo, Rabbi Nurai. Why was he called Rabbi Nurai Shemon here? Enei Chachamim Balacha. Because he enlightened the eyes of the Chachamim and Alacha. Obviously, after he had this incident, and came back and realized that he needed his Chavirim. We know that Rabbi Lazar Menarach was a tremendous Tamachacham. In the Mishnah and Avot, Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai, when he's listing out his Talmidim and giving Shivcham, he says about Rabbi Lazar Menarach that he is the top, one of the top students. One is not allowed to scrape or comb the body down. One cannot scrape with a scraper or a strigil. If your feet became covered in dirt, plaster, cement, you're allowed to scrape off normally. You don't have to worry about it. She made him a silver scraper to use on Shabbat, with the cover of Shabbat, that he could use the scraper for incidents where he had mud on his body. So to scrape when there's no mud on your body, when there's no indication that you need to remove this type of stuff from your body, that is impermissible on Shabbat because that's uvda dechol. That's something that you would do on a weekday. But over here, if its utility is to remove the dirt from one's legs or feet, that you can even do on Shabbat because that scraping is not a problem of uvda dechol. That's just a practical thing. You need to get the mud off your legs or your feet.
and your demon the Karduma cannot descend down to the Karduma. One cannot go down to this Kardima. My time, huh? What's the problem of going down to Kardima? Mishum Pika. The problem of Pika. So, we're not any clearer now than we were before. What does that mean, Mishum Pika? So Rashi says that Mishum Pika is tit. That the mud at the base of this river was very smooth and slippery. And if you descended there, the likelihood is that you would fall. And if you fell, your clothing would become soaked in water. And then you have a problem of day Schita. That's the way Rashi describes it. The Rebbeinu Hanano, you have Murray here that is formatted in this way. The Rebbeinu Hanano on the third line from the bottom says, piluma, which would match up. There's a Kirsa in our Mishnah that it's Piluma. Perish Bika. Besha Maim Tit Kamo Tafel. And below it, there is this mud that is Tafel. Vim Vaka Vidbabo. Sometimes it opens up to cracks and then you sink into it. They can't get them out or pull them out until they gather a lot of people together and pull them out. Exactly. That's what it sounds like. Some sort of quicksand, which you can't get out of unless you have major help from other people to get you out of. That a person who bathes in that area becomes very cold. It's a laxative of sort because of the coldness of the water. That may be the explanation of what a bika is which would match up with the Diomas that we saw before about that it was a possible laxative. If you connect the two uh, cases, the case of Diomas and this case of the Kordima, that descending to these areas. So that Michum Pika is, again, either because the mud is slippery and you might fall into the water because it's quicksand-like or because it's medicinal, therapeutic in nature. You can't make this emitic on Shabbat or drink the emitic on Shabbat. That's only true if you do it through a medicinal nature. You do it through a potion. You stick your finger down your throat and it causes you to vomit, that is fine. We're not saying whether it's permitted to vomit or not. Obviously, if you need to vomit and it's necessary, then obviously you can do it. But the problem here is that they're not vomiting because of the need to vomit, but rather this was a common activity amongst the Romans. Not necessarily bulimic, but they used to eat and then they used to disgorge the food so they could eat more. Or for whatever reasons, it was not necessarily done for therapeutic reasons. It was done as a manner of conducting oneself, a cultural manner. And he says that's a problem of baltashchit. You're just wasting food. You're eating the food, spinning it up. It's not nutritional in nature anymore. That doesn't make sense. You cannot straighten out the limbs of a katan. To swaddle the baby is permitted, even though that's going to straighten out the limbs. What about our Mishnah in Matzvin? You're not allowed to straighten out the limbs. Over there we're talking about the vertebrae of the spine, the mechsegebone. Because there it looks like you're building up the body, and that's the problem. But if you simply swaddle the other parts of the body, that is considered to be fine. Cannot set a break on Shabbat. Amar Rabichana Bagta. Rabichana, probably a Baghdad, the most likely scenario. Amar Shmuel. Halacha magzirin et shever. The halacha is that you are allowed to set a break on Shabbat. Rabbi Barachana iklo lepumbedita. Rabbi Barachana went to pumbedita lo al the pirkei de Rabbi Yehuda. He didn't go to the drasha of Rabbi Yehuda. Shadrei la ada daila. He sent out. This is Rabbi Yehuda sent out Ida his attendant and Amalei zil garbe. Go grab his clothing from him. Azil garbe. He grabbed his clothing. Ata. So sure enough, he shows up after he takes his clothing. He has to show up at the drasha. Ashkarei the god Dorish, he finds him that he's Dorish, or Yehud is being Dorish. Eim Akzirin Teshever, you're not allowed to set a break on Shabbat. Amalei, so now 
Rabbi Rabbi speaks up, Ramlai, Ochi Amar, Rabbi Bakta Amar Shmuel, Alocha Magzirin et Tashevet. Alocha is that you are allowed to set the break. Ramlai, Ha, Chana Didan. Chana is from our area, meaning that he's local. Ha, Shmuel Didan. Shmuel is also local. Rabbi Yehuda was also a Talmud of Shmuel. So here the quote is from Chana Bakta Shmuel, and Rabbi Yehuda should have clearly known this, and he didn't know it. And I never heard this memra. And isn't it proper that I brought you to Beit Midrash, that I took your clothing and forced you to come to Beit Midrash? Because had you not come, we wouldn't have known this halacha. And now that you've come, now we have this information that is important to us, that we have to set the brakes on Shabbat. Something that was dislocated. Rav Avia was sitting in front of Yosef. His hand or his arm became dislocated. Then he looks at Rav Yosef and he says, If I twist it this way or I move it this way or I do this, what's a din? A sword. If I do it this way, Asur says, no, you can't do this. In the interim, it relocated, the arm or the hand relocated. The interesting thing is that he keeps showing him the different methodologies, and he says, Asur, Asur, probably by showing him, it ends up getting it relocated back in place, so he ends up getting what he wants without actually, quote-unquote, doing what he wasn't supposed to do. So I'm like, mighty bailach, why do you have a question? What, what's the shiloh here that you have a question about whether you can relocate it? Hatnan, nifrika yado, o raglo, lo Our mission that says, if you have a dislocated arm or leg, you can't beat them in cold water. Avarochets kedargo. And you're allowed to, but so you're allowed to wash in cold water in your normal matter. It goes back in place, it's fine. So it's clear here that you can't do this. You can't relocate or put the dislocated limb back in place. Well, don't we have our mission also says you can't set a break. Despite the fact that our mission says that, we paskin negative the mission and we say you're allowed to set a break. What do you mean? Everything's woven in the same weave? Just because by the break we said that Misha says don't set a break and we have a lucky you can't set the break. So now you think Misha says don't relocate the dislocated limb. So you think, okay, it's okay now. We don't have to listen to the Mishnah. In a place where we have a lucha brought from Shmuel that says that we don't pass them like the Mishnah, there we don't pass them like the Mishnah. So you can set a break. With the dislocated limb, there we don't have any memra that tells us otherwise. So we're going to follow the Mishnah that says that you're not allowed to reset the dislocated limb on Shabbat. Okay, we'll stop over here.